Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining the live recording of our Member Lounge video podcast. So we have two wonderful guests with us today, Amanda Kayser and Bruce Rosenthal, and I'm your host Farhad Khan. I'm the CEO of Member Lounge. All right, so with that, we will get started. Amanda and Bruce, welcome to the episode. Uh, can you start by telling us a bit about yourself and what you do? Amanda, we'll start with you and then over to Bruce. Sure, yeah. I So I am a member engagement strategist. I am uh, the author of this new book, Elevating Engagement. So it takes you through the entire engagement process. And, uh, and I'm a keynote speaker. And I am Bruce Rosenthal. I help associations and nonprofit organizations create uh, sponsorship programs that increase revenue and member value. And, and after listen, listening to Amanda's intro, I really should say that I'm a sponsorship engagement expert because that's really what it's about. And, and that's what we're going to talk about in the next hour or so about uh, how we engage members and how we engage sponsors. Wonderful. So um, my first question, maybe the, maybe the most important question, um, I'll start with Amanda here and then Bruce over to you. What would be your top one or two activities, like top, top one or two activities to drive member engagement? Yeah, so I I love this question um, because, you know, you, you go to like a, a conference or an event and you take like diligent notes and you come back with, I don't know, if you're like me, I'll come back with a, a notebook of stuff to do. And it's hard parsing through the, all of the great ideas to figure out what those priorities are. So this is a, a fantastic question. If, if I had to call it when I'm talking about member engagement, I would say it's new member engagement. So those, those new member orientation or onboarding programs are about as, as important as you can possibly get. And the reason why is, is without new member engagement, you can't have lifelong link member engagement. And uh, so, yeah, so, uh, you know, if I had to focus my organization on one thing, it would absolutely be on onboarding programs. And we can definitely dive into, you know, if, if your attendees have any questions about the mechanics and how they work and strategies and new ideas and trends in onboarding. Uh, I've got all of that from the new member engagement study. So I, I, I um, ran some research with my partners at Dynamic Benchmarking. And we had 307 uh, associations weigh in on their new member onboarding tactics and strategies. And we're able to, with that many responses, we could segment by, you know, small associations versus large associations. And, you know, those that are local versus state versus national versus global. So, so there's a lot, a lot of information in there. And I'll drop the link into the chat for the new member engagement study, which is also free. Uh, and if you're looking for it, you can just type in new member engagement study into Google and you will find a link right to my site and right to dynamic benchmarking to download it. Amanda, didn't you also have that um, uh, finding that members who are engaged in the first X number of days are more likely to uh, renew? Yeah, so so really interesting. I. I started in the association community about 15 years ago, and I think at that point there was sort of this idea that as long as you engage a new member within a year, uh, you would be safe. You know, if you could engage them right before renewals, then then they likely would become a, a member next year. And then somebody did some research and said, no, 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 it's it's actually six months. And then when I was doing my research, it's actually about three days to three weeks, which is phenomenally quick. So. So members join and very, very quickly, they're trying to figure out if this is the professional home for them, if this is their gonna be their intellectual family. And, uh, and they're making that decision about whether they're gonna take that next step to engage and, and perhaps engage kind of permanently 
in those first three days to first three weeks. So, so the sooner we can get them up and running, the sooner we can give them opportunities to engage, the, the better we are and the better they are. Bruce, your take so on there, it. Sure. So there is definitely a, a connection between sponsors and member engagement. So most associations see two big or should see two big value propositions in having sponsors. Of course, the first thing is money. And that money can be used to enhance member services. Uh, I used to run a sponsorship program that was bringing in about 20% of the association's budget. And the largest department on in the association was public policy. Uh, which brought in zero dollars. So I knew a lot of that revenue from the sponsorship program was being used to support public policy. But the other big value proposition to really position the sponsors as thought leaders and benefit members is around content. So I often talk to organizations, think of the top six things that members need. And it, is it around improving quality in their company or, or organization? Is it supply chain issues? Is it DEI? Is it how to get younger members engaged with in the association by providing better interviewing skills or job enhancement skills? Whatever those six things are, find sponsors that can provide that sort of content for members. So that revenue and that content increases engagement of members and will re will result in better recruitment and better retention of members. So Bruce, just a follow-up question on that. So you mentioned that like for the association, 20% of the revenues were coming in through sponsorships. So is that normal or like where do you see the sp uh, like spread in general? Like how much is non-dues? How much is like dues in general? It, it the, the percentage of non-dues to dues varies significantly association to association and other associations have grants and other sorts of things. I think one thing to keep in mind with sponsorship revenue is much of that is, is discretionary revenue. So when we have these member programs that are not being funded through other sources, so again, using that association where I used to work, um, I was the only full-time staff person working on the sponsorship program, and it was bringing in $1.8 million. So kind of do the math, whatever my salary, overhead, even adding in the support I got from others on staff, I think we kind of put pencil to paper once and kind of figured we're probably investing $300,000 to $350,000 in the sponsorship program, and it was bringing in $1.8 million. So I think, and we can scale all these things up and down based on the size of the association. If your association's smaller, don't get scared off by that number. If it sounds too small, if you're a bigger association, ramp it up. But compared to grants and, and even in many cases dues revenue, which is in many cases uh, spent on dues-related expenses, member-related expenses, that uh, discretionary factor with the sponsorship revenue is something else that can be used uh, or another factor in engaging members with sponsors. With sponsors. So for the audience here, who here wants $1.8 million in sponsor revenue? If you if you want that, type dollar sign on chat. I definitely want that, so I'll type in my dollar sign for sure. Yeah. <laughs> there. I want to see more dollar signs on chat if you want that level of like sponsorships. Okay. So um, oh, there you go, Carissa already. Uh, so my next question, um, we often see that like members and sponsors like get some engagement with the audience and with the association at different times throughout the year, like whenever they only have a major event or maybe there's something, there's a campaign. But what we're finding nowadays is that like there's a lot of like need to uh, uh, stay engaged throughout the entire year, right, between the members and sponsors like all together. Um, how can we do that? You know, well, I, I, go ahead, I, okay. <laughs> I I was thinking about, as you said that, Farhad, and, and then I think this is the perfect question for Bruce. I was, I was thinking about how when I started in the association industry, 
Uh, there were there were little ways that associations engage with with their members, but it might be on a monthly basis. So you get a monthly newsletter or a weekly newsletter. But the big, big Pumba of all engagement was always the annual conference. And and that was cool at the time, except for members have questions and problems and goals and challenges 365 days a year. And so in the time that I've been in the association community, there's more uh, you know, online communities, there's more ways that associations are, are not are on all the time, not just once a year, not just once a month, not just once a week, but you you can get into the online community and you can get information on the website and all of that anytime that you want. And so, so I, I think as we've expanded the time horizon for member engagement, I'm guessing we've expanded the time horizon for sponsors as well. Is that is that kind of what you're feeling like, Bruce? Yeah, when, here's the real win-win. So you're right, Amanda. Members have challenges and, and needs for information throughout the year, and that might sync up with the time of the annual conference, or they might come up with a big challenge a month after the conference. What do they do then? So members need information year-long, and sponsors want to be positioned year-long. doesn't mean every day, but I've talked to sponsors who have said, well, you know, the annual conference was great. And we market 365 days a year. So what about the 362 days of the year when there's not a conference, when there's not an expo? How can members learn about what we have to offer? And I think the other factor, you know, I, the, the, the metric in, in marketing is you have to hear about a company or a product seven times before it really resonates. Mm -hmm. So if we can work with sponsors, not on, on sales, but on educational materials. And it might be, you know, it, and it might be four or five times a year. It might be a listserv survey and something at the conference and a white paper and being on a webinar panel. So over the course of the year, that company becomes known um, for having expertise in that area. And I think we can also, in many cases, work with sponsors, not on there, because I think there's a question in the chat about tying thought leadership and uh, implying, will that become a sales pitch and will there be pushback from staff or board? Companies have a whole range of expertise where they can be positioned well that is not directly tied to their product or service. So does the company have expertise in DEI, women in leadership, um, providing uh, interview skills for, for new new folks in the, the field or the profession. So if we can involve companies in that way, it gets their name out there, but never mentions their product or service. Right, right. And I guess like uh, another finding that we are seeing on our end, uh, so we are very active online, right? So we host like three online events every month. And, and we have a lot of people coming to our online events. And uh, I was I spoke at the CSAE annual conference, the Canadian version of ASAE. I spoke at the conference like uh, last week. And um, lo and behold, like room full of people. And my, in my talk, I asked them, okay, how many people are subscribing to my podcast and how many people have joined one of our webinars? Not one hand went up. And we know that we have one of the top association podcasts out there. Not one hand went up in the in-person event, right? What does that tell me? That tells me that by going to the event, we are uh, like meeting new people, the people who are usually not online, right? And then like by having the online community that we have and by doing online events, we are really reaching a different group of people in general. So I think like there's room for both. So some people are more active in the in-person events and the others are more active like online throughout the entire year. Do you see that as well? Or like, do you have a thought on that? I, I totally do. So it's really fascinating when when COVID came and we moved all of the in-person stuff online. Uh, what I what I think a lot of association metrics saw was that the person, you know, for a while, 
the, their uh, current conference registrants were their online registrants. And then at some point they, they realized that they were starting to get this whole other audience of registrants. And, and so then when, when we started going back in person, there was, a, there was a couple of associations that said, phew, we don't have to do this virtual thing anymore. We're just gonna do the in-person thing. And I, and I kind of panicked for them at that particular point because I, I knew that there's people who can't travel because of budget or family or you know, a million other reasons, um, be, you know, because they're, they're, not, uh, they're not the CEO, so they don't get to go to the conference. And, and so uh, to the extent that associations can do both, uh, both in-person and virtual, I, I believe what we're seeing is we're, we're seeing some crossover in audiences, but a, a lot of different folks right now. Well, and I think the other factor with, as Amanda said, going virtual, which made things accessible to anybody, it made it much easier for corporate sponsors and others to reach our members. And, and I know that when I ran a sponsorship program at an association 10 years ago, if a company said, oh, we want to reach and teach your members, I said, that's easy. I'll give you the rules. Here's the list you can you can reach out to. Here's when our webinar schedule is. We can get you on the schedule in eight months. Here's when the conference is. Submit a proposal and we can let you do the conference. And then everything went virtual and people became really used to using Zoom, of course, and other virtual platforms and using social media. So then companies said, oh, so we can put out a white paper on social media, create an online community and reach them in Zoom. So we don't have to wait for the association to either reach members or teach members. <laughs> so uh, I, one of my colleagues talked to a company that has created an online community of 5,000 members of the association. And the, the company's smart enough to know they're not just pushing out sales stuff, they're pushing out white papers and webinars and subscribe to our podcast. And members are going there. Companies wouldn't be doing those sorts of things if members weren't going there. And I think it's always important to add to this, which again ties into engagement, companies would rather do those sorts of activities with the association to align the brands, to go together and engage the members. But if associations are like, oh, you can't have the list and you can't do the webinar for six months and you have to wait till the next conference, then companies are going to be like, we can go out and do that next week. Right. And I guess like uh, what's happening nowadays is that like a lot of the um... Uh, sponsors, they're building their own lists. So like we're getting to a point where like our own list will become like bigger than some of, some of the association executive like uh, associations, right? So because like we are very active in marketing. So uh, so we should never get to a point where the sponsor thinks that our list is bigger than the association, right? The moment that happens, then that's a problem for the associations, you know, in for their existence in general. So um, I'll go to the next question. So, uh, and this question came up a couple of times from the audience. Uh, the question is, what are what types of partnerships are most effective? Like we we saw a question about thought leadership, but then like we see there are some put, pushback about that, right? So how can we do it well? What partnerships would you recommend? I think any partnership that I mean, I have my my three rules of of partnership engagement. Rule number one, it needs to be in alignment with the association's mission. Rule number two, it needs to be in alignment with members' needs. And rule number three is don't forget rules number one and number two. <laughs> so there are companies that are too pushy. There are companies that misbehave. So if a company says, oh, we will, I had a, an association that, that called me a few years ago and said, you got to help us. We have, what should we do? We have a company that offered us $100,000. 
and here's what they want. They want to co-brand their, their company name on our website. They want introductions to policymakers. They want introductions to our members to do sales calls. What should we do? And I said, well, you could have saved us both an hour. Just don't take the money. It's not a conversation or negotiate something else. So any good partnership needs to, to be in alignment with the association's mission based on member needs. And anything that deviates from that is a slippery slope because it will alienate the board and the staff and it will detract from the brand. I was kind of thinking about some other places. There's so many places that sponsors can play where they can add value to you know, the core members. And so Bruce was talking about you know, money uh, and content. And there's there's another place too. So I've I've done a lot of work with scientific associations and with engineering associations. And this is this is, I'm gonna say this is a rash generalization, but not in but there's there's a little something to it. And that is one of the times we were talking about micro volunteering and we were talking about um you know you could have micro uh, volunteers who are staffing the registration table and i was talking about the importance of experiences you know have people there who are welcoming people with big genuine smiles and maybe a little bit of small talk and and maybe you could have people at your receptions who are facilitating conversations and in, in introducing people to each other or somebody who's uh, just in the registration area who's walking around making you know chit chat and a few times you know some of some of the the scientists and, and engineers said oh oh no 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 the those are not jobs for us. And, and I immediately thought, oh, but I bet, I bet, bet, bet that they are great jobs for your industry partners. You know, I, I bet that there's a lot of marketing and sales folks in there who, who know a lot of your members and would be thrilled to interact with new members and introduce people around and, and all of that. So, so there's, there's so many really interesting ways to think outside the box in terms of We'll take your money so we can slap your logo on something. Um, and then I love this whole idea of flat, flat leadership, but but also how how could they be helpful in the experiential sense? You know, like where can we give them a ton of value where they're interacting with members, but also helping us, you know, warmly welcome members and get that conversation started and get those introductions made. Yeah. So just a follow up question to Bruce. Uh, Bruce, so you uh, you said that like that hundred thousand dollars that that uh, that sponsor offered, uh, would you turn it down completely, or maybe uh, like say that hey, let's find a way to make it work for both our members and you? Yeah, hard to to turn down a hundred thousand dollars. Hopefully, everything is negotiable. I I think the other approach is not to wait for companies and and to to offer a hundred thousand dollars on their terms. But to turn around the conversation that, that, again, start with what are the six or eight things your members need the most? Or as Amanda said, that you need at the conference, you need greeters, um, or you need a, uh, a refreshment lounge at your conference. Do you have a company among your corporate sponsors that could help with that lounge at the conference? Or again, the range of, of information and expertise that members need now. And I think some of the recent surveys that we've seen of associations are that most associations are now saying, especially post-COVID, they do not have the staff, money, time, or expertise to meet members' needs all the time. So where is that knowledge going to come from? 
And one of the places is, is the sponsor companies, I think. So to engage the companies in that process and to, instead of waiting for the companies to come and say, oh, we want to co-brand your website, to go to the companies and to say, you know, we've, we've seen on your website, you have this expertise. We just did a member survey. Our members need this expertise. Can we talk about a way to work together and to learn for the association to learn more about the company's goals? And then for the association, almost like a marketing agency, to say, thank the company for all this information about the company's goals and say, can we get together again next week? And then for the association to think about, okay, let's take control of this. We're not going to offer them co-branding of the website. We're going to offer co-branding of a webinar or of a survey or helping be greeters at our conference or to have the greeter booth um, maybe around a specific topic. I worked with a sponsor once who was a uh, federal regulation was really affecting members. We had a sponsor company that had expertise in that. We said, can we give you your company a kiosk next to the registration area to answer questions from members? So it was all very member focused to then go to the companies with those ideas, the association's ideas, the association owns the process and say, we, we heard your company's goals. We've come up with some ideas to, to fulfill your company's goals. They also meet the needs of our members. We've pre-vetted them. Members need this information. Uh, can we come up with a partnership? And I think that's also when the, the, uh, the sponsorship fee can increase significantly because the association is not, as Amanda said, slapping logos on things because companies are now telling me they can get more leads from a few thousand dollars of Google ads than a $50,000 sponsorship. So we need to come up with ways for the companies to be engaged with members to provide that sort of content. And, but we provide the, the guidelines on how that will align with member needs. Yeah. And oftentimes, like when you want to create content or deliver a like certain service like this, the sponsor companies, actually, they will uh, know that subject matter, or they will know that area so well to such a depth that the association themselves will have a difficult time producing content at their level. So if you are not using that expertise, then I think we're missing out on a lot in general. And um, so like, um, uh, to that note, like Bruce, so what I'm hearing is that the sponsorship packages shouldn't be set on stone. I think like the moment you see that like someone is looking to sponsor, I think we have to be a, a bit more flexible to see how we can include them. Absolutely. So there, there's been a lot of literature the last number of years about the the, the end of the gold, silver, bronze. Uh, I've seen as many as seven of the so-called heavy metal levels. And it's there are companies that are just, they get numerous prospectuses with gold, silver, bronze every week or every month. And it just doesn't resonate. And you think about any other high level service that anybody buys, whether it's a business going to a marketing agency or an individual going to an interior decorator, they don't have gold, silver, bronze prepackaged services. And there's a reason for that. There are a couple of reasons. One is they need to be customized. And, and secondly, we can charge a lot more, frankly, for customized programs that meet the needs of members because it is highly unlikely that companies are going to need all of those benefits all the time. And, and customizing is in my view, fully customized. It's not, well, here are four categories. You can swap out one thing from column A and put it in column B. But it's really having a conversation with companies. What are your business needs? Do you want to reach a segment of our audience? How do you usually market? What's successful? Do you do digital marketing? Do you exhibit, do exhibit booths? And how do you measure success? Because companies are now doing a lot more measuring than they used to. And I think pre-pandemic that 
companies often sponsor just a whole lot of associations out of a sense of obligation. And because some of us as association execs convince those companies, well, if you're not here front and center in the expo, members might think you went out of business or you're having business difficulties or something. And then when companies couldn't exhibit and couldn't be at conferences for those two years during the pandemic, they found other opportunities. So I think that, you know, by finding out, you know, what companies need, what members need and aligning those is, is the best way to engage the companies as well as the members. So Amanda, you talked about micro-volunteering and I actually went through that at the conference like last week. So what happened in my case was that like they invited me to moderate a number of the breakout session rooms. So I was the like MC moderating like those rooms and uh, I love doing that. And then like, since I have a podcast, it's it's not too difficult for me to do. And they, they thought that I was doing a good job. So they gave me more, more and more rooms, right? So the list like started growing. Now I, I, I had fun doing that. Now, um, like, what have you seen are some like great micro volunteer opportunities that have worked well? And then if whenever like uh, we are including a sponsor, how can we make it not look salesy? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So a couple, there's a couple of micro volunteering opportunities. Well, okay. So Bruce was kind of talking about, you know, what can we do to drive value that maybe the association staff can't do on their own? And so one of the things that I, that is a really huge need for almost every single association group of members I've ever talked to is how do you meet the people you're supposed to meet and and so so there's you know a, a bunch of things that we we create a bunch of environments for people to meet each other but it's kind of luck if you meet the right person so if you go to a reception and there's 100 people or 500 people you might talk to four people and of those four they might not be your your next new best friend forever, right? Um, it's very, you're very lucky if you meet the people you're supposed to meet. So um, I love that, you know, a lot of, a lot of sponsors, um, they've got deep roots in the industry or the profession. They know a lot of people and they could be doing that, introducing people around and, and they get the, the kind of win for making those connections. When you can make a, I love it. I love when when I meet somebody new and they're talking about something and I and I say, oh, my gosh, uh, I, you know, I've just met I just met Bruce and you've got to meet Bruce. Bruce, uh, you know, here, let let me let me introduce you to Farhad. If you can make those really quality connections, it, it feels good for you. And in this case, if sponsor, we put sponsors in the, the position of doing that, that would be great. So I think. I think we can we can kind of give them roles of authority uh, during networking opportunities. I, I love putting them in the, the place where they can welcome. I think it was Calis AE at one of the conferences that I spoke at for Calis AE. Uh, they had um, these designated welcomers all over the registration area. And, and I believe they were all sponsors. And they're, hmm. you know, a lot of those folks, again, they're salespeople, they were so good at like the the kind warm welcome i never felt like any of it was salesy at all i was just i was just so happy that somebody was there to welcome me um another another really interesting place you were talking about uh being the mc or facilitating i love especially in virtual events i love a very active chat uh, especially when i'm speaking and i see this really active chat going on i know people are getting a ton of value and one of the ways that you can boost that active chat is to have chat ambassadors and a, a lot of people could be chat ambassadors so if you're doing something for young professionals perhaps you get a young professional to be the chat ambassador uh, or if they're if you're doing you know focused 
uh, topic webinars, maybe it's a sponsor uh, that that's the chat ambassador and and you can you can you know kind of I don't know if you want to lay the ground rules, but you can say, hey, this is your role. Your role is to greet people in the chat and raise up great questions and get people to talk more and introduce people and and all of that. And and so they'll you know, they'll they'll get the idea that this is not a place for them to constantly say, hey, you, you've got to buy my product, but it's a place for them to facilitate a really fantastic interaction. Wonderful, wonderful, yeah. And like, what about the um, uh, second question I had? Like, how do you make it look less salesy? Yeah, I, I. So this is an interesting thing. When I uh, during COVID, uh, I got together with my partners at Matchbox, and we put on the new, uh, so not new member engagement study. That's with Dynamic Benchmarking. Uh, we did the um, virtual networking incubator, and so one of the things that we saw during COVID was as everybody, you know, rushed to take their in-person conference and put it online. The, the education part of the promise of a conference really translated, but the networking part of the conference, that was really, really hard to do. And so our question was, can, can you have networking, um, virtual networking during an event be meaningful? Can you make it comfortable? Can you make it fun? Can, you know, can you, can, can it even be a thing? And so we, we sort of put that goal out there into the association community and 150 people raised their hand and said, Hey, yes, we, we would like to figure out if this is a thing we'd like to experiment with you. And one of our questions very early on was, um, do we, do we, we, we wanted everybody to apply and we were wondering, is this sort of a, uh, you know, everybody can come and play with us, or is it just association professionals, or do we invite, you know, uh, other consultants and, um, and uh, you know, sponsors and other industry partners, and we decided that that was the more the merrier. But in our facts, we, we did do a little bit of like, hey, you know, the, our goal, uh, our community goal is to, to focus on the content and to focus on connections. And, and I don't remember if we explicitly said, you know, hey, no, just no, no salesy stuff here. And I'm sure we put it in like a really fun, hard, lighthearted way if we did say that. Um, but I, I, I think you can say like, you, you can sort of even joke around like, hey, you know, you all know that, you know, pushy sales, salesperson, that's not, that's not for us today. And, and people will totally get that. Yeah, I think it involves some coaching of of the sponsors. And if if a company says we really want to sell, our major goal is we need to scan badges, and I need to bring that report back to my boss. It's fine. Sell them a bigger booth. Sell them some banner ads. Sell them some ads on the app at the conference. That's fine. But for companies that really want to be positioned as higher level partners with the association as thought leaders, uh, a concept that I learned from a colleague in the education department at the association where I used to work, was the idea of educate to sell, don't sell to educate. So educate to sell, don't sell to educate. So when you're positioned as an educator, so one other example of something we did with one of our corporate partners, so this is back probably 12 years ago, the early days of social media, and we had members that were struggling with how do I use LinkedIn for my as a professional, how do I use LinkedIn for my company? Should I be using Facebook? So we had a, a year-long corporate partner that was a marketing agency that understood social media. And the deal we came up with, instead of slapping their logo on a lot of places at the convention, we said, what if we work with your company to co-brand a social media lab in the middle of the expo? 
And you can staff it with your marketing agency's folks. And if members come by, you're not handing them sales literature. They're having a question about, well, how do I, what kind of picture do I need on my LinkedIn profile? Or should this be my resume? Or how do I do this? Or is Instagram good for me? Or is it not good? So for three days in the center of the exhibit hall with the big overhead sign was co-branded the association's name, the company's name, Social Media Lab. And the, the marketing agency staff all, you know, had their logo shirts and all that, and they could hand out a business card at the end of the discussion. But it really positioned the company as a thought leader, as being helpful. And I'm sure the way they measure ROI at the end of the day, they got some business because some of those folks called them a week or two later and said, oh, I was at your social media lab. Can you provide me with some help? And that's when those folks started paying for the help. So what do members need? With alignment with the mission, helping members, something members needed, expertise as the company had, but nothing about sales or pricing or anything else that the marketing agency had. Yeah, and I guess by doing that, the people who truly had a need for social media and truly who truly actually were looking to take action right now, they, the sponsor got to connect with them like right there, right? So the true need was there, the value was there. It's, it's, it's like a wonderful match. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'll take some quick questions from the audience here. So I think like I see a question someone asked, um, where can we find our YouTube page? So Anika, do you mind just pasting our uh, YouTube channel link on the chat so others can know as well? Okay, so, it, so it's coming if you're looking for the YouTube channel, Shelly. And the next question is from Sheila Santiago. So Sheila is asking, I love getting away from the metal tiered packaging for events. Um, what ideas would be put in place to visually recognize the larger sponsors? Our industry still likes for uh, still likes for event attendees to know recognize their high value sponsors. Okay, so there has to be some visibility for the high tier sponsors. How do we make that happen without the tiers? Well, I mean, if they, I think it's going to vary company to company, and if they want that visibility, if a company is going through a brand change, then yeah, they probably want the visibility. I've talked to sponsors over the years that, that when I say, oh, you know, as part of the package, you get these logo placements and you get these banner ads, and the company has said, you know, Bruce, we've been a sponsor for 15 years. Everybody knows who our company is and what they do. We don't need another logo placement. Um, but if the company does want that visibility, you can still, you know, do the the sign outside the exhibit hall with the, the top dollar sponsors, even if they're not tiers, the ones who do support to, to a greater financial extent. I mean, almost in the same way that marketing agency would say, well, here's a list of our, our clients who um, are among our bigger clients. So those supporters can still be listed or the scrolling logos across the screen in the general session. So they can still be recognized, but I just find for most of those companies, that's uh, really not the main thing. They would rather have that co-branded social media lab than have their logo scrolling across the stage. So, but I think it can be both. Um, so visibility has not gone away, but it's definitely a less, uh, the logo placements are of less importance than they used to be for companies. I, I saw an, a sort of an interesting kind of elegant, a pyramid that somebody put together and there was there was not there wasn't like they didn't say hey you know that this was the $50 sponsor or $50,000 sponsor this was the $10,000 sponsor instead they they sort of just visually had their sponsors kind of aligned in like a pyramid so you sort of got that idea that uh I think it was um General Mills General Mills was their top sponsor and they were just at the top and 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 they they used that 
In a couple of ways, uh, there was uh, in between keynotes, they they kind of had some slides that were on a loop and they were scrolling. Mm -hmm. And so you, you you visually saw that that General Mills in this particular uh, conference was, you know, they they were the top sponsor. And then there was, you know, maybe two or three other kind of next tier sponsors. But but uh, I, I don't think there was a dollar sign on how much, but you could just sort of visually see it. And and it was, it was, it was fine. It was nice. Yep. I think, yeah, that's a good point, Amanda. I think that you know, another idea is instead of giving companies the gold, silver, bronze monikers is to tie it to the type of, of expertise they're providing. So is that marketing agency the social media sponsor for the year? And is another company the DEI sponsor for the year or the women in leadership sponsor for the year? That I think would actually resonate more with members. So get back to member value. And then the members begin to say, wow, I keep hearing about what this company's doing in, in women in leadership, right? You keep hearing what they're doing in DEI. I saw something at the conference and they had something at their booth. And, and then I saw a webinar a couple months ago. Seems like that company is really the one with the expertise in DEI. You, you know what I really love about the the where you're going with this, Bruce, is so we were just saying a little bit earlier that you could spend, you know, five thousand dollars and get a whole bunch of leads through Google and 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 then you could spend some amount of money on sponsorship and get leads through a uh, association. But those leads might not be equal, right? Um, so a lead through an association might be a little more valuable because that association feels like they've vetted them. And if you're then saying like, this is our social media sponsor, this is our DEI sponsor for the year, it's it's kind of, it, you're conferring upon them even more trust. And these, the, this, you know, this team, uh, this company is, you know, they, they are the people that we're turning to. And, and so in that way, it, it makes these association sponsors so, so much more valuable to, mm -hmm. to industry partners for sure. Yep, definitely. Love that. Love that. Uh, so next question, and we got this a number of times from the audience. Um, what communication tools can associations use to engage their members and sponsors? What communication tools? Yeah, to engage members and sponsors. Of course, our platform member launches one, but like your take on it. Yeah. 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 So in the new member engagement study, we found that email is absolutely ubiquitous. Uh, you know, all associations of all sizes and and all types, trade uh, professional, they're all using email. Uh, and then I think uh, be you know behind that there's uh, associations are making phone calls and they're reaching folks through social media and through their website and and all of and, and in online communities um and and then I think it becomes you know how are you doing that and one of the things that I've been real conscious of lately is whenever you communicate there's there's kind of two things you're doing there's the what you want to say you know and that's that's the value that's the uh, the call to action, the the piece of information you're trying to get across, and then there's the how you say it. And um, and more and more, I think the how you say it is becoming really critical because I don't know about you both, but I, I probably get 100, 200, sometimes even on a, on a given day, maybe 400 emails. I can't read that many, right? And so so I'm going for the ones that I, I can't live without. Uh, and and the ones that are fun and and so the, the the tonal aspect, the experience of communicating with our members and our sponsors, 
becomes much more critical and and uh and so there's a, a lot of different things that you could think about in terms of tone so you can think about you know the tone that you want to write your emails with maybe maybe it's more fun maybe it's more lighthearted, maybe more casual uh, but even on, on like an online community uh, even if it's a professional online community think about the way you're moderating and the, the moderation can have a tone as well you can be you know you can be like this super enthusiastic uh tour guide concierge through the you know the online community and and so that's that's one of the places where i think associations have a real fun place to expand into is we we can be not only the repository for data and content uh, in the place that people can connect but we can also be the place that that members have a fun time doing it um and feel really good about it and and all of that and so we, we can think a, a lot about tone as we move forward so i guess what i'm hearing is that like email email phone calls they're not going away at all like so there's there's still a place for those it yeah it doesn't as far as i can tell in the research uh when we so we had conducted the survey four years ago we just conducted it again uh, if, if anything, email was, you know, more ubiquitous, I think it was 99.5 of all of the respondents use email and, and the, uh, the couple who didn't might, might have been like very, very small associations. Uh, and then I think it was something like almost 50% of our respondents are using phone calls uh, as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know that they're going away. There was a little bit of drop off in phone calls, but what we found was for the folks that were calling, they were leaving these lovely voicemail messages. And for the members that were receiving them, uh, it, you know, totally fine that they didn't pick up the phone, but the, the, the voicemail counted. Like they were, they're just happy that there was somebody who was warmly welcoming them to the association. Yep. You know, I heard about an, another tactic a number of years ago. Um, I'm co-founder of a group called the Partnership Professionals Network. I'll, I'll drop the link in the chat. And before the pandemic, we had monthly um, networking discussions here in, in the D.C. area and some in the Chicago area. And there was somebody in one of the meetings years ago from one of the uh, nature conservation associations. And she said what they did with one of their sponsors is they came up with a year-long calendar of activities that they would do joint posts on social media. So like one month was fire prevention month and, and forest, another was, you know, safe hiking and staying hydrated and, and another was a whole range. So they came up with, so talk about the year long sponsorship campaign, 12 issues, 12, 12 topics, and the association and the company each posted on the first or the 15th of every month on that topic and then tagged each other's posts. So they had the power of not only the association's communications channels, but the company's reach through social media and the co-branding because they were tagging each other's posts and mentioning each other in the posts. So I think it's um you know looking at both the 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 tactics but also what is the goal and if the goal is to reach more members larger audiences there are often ways the companies in many cases have a larger reach than the associations i love the idea i love the idea of like topical posts you know and co-branding as well throughout the whole year this is this is wonderful so just like my take on that in general because we've been doing a lot of research while building our like app member lounge and um what like some something that we're finding is that um people like what do people find spammy you know like people find spammy those emails that they do not want 
like a message that they do not want like that's what they find spammy so um, what we thought is can we actually make our notifications so our app like member launch app like whenever you are posting a new uh like post on the community or there's like a new event or anything uh there are email notifications that go out all the time and like emails are like one of the key ways we are driving engagement through our platform so whenever uh something happens there's an email notification like going out to the member and the member will click on the link and they'll come back to the portal to see more content now, how can we make them uh, less spammy? So what we found is that if we let people self-subscribe to what they're looking for and not to like a, like a general list, oh, there are five lists, I'll subscribe to one, two, three. Not like that, right? Follow individual content. So we put in a way to follow individual content so people can follow one discussion group, they can follow one piece of content and they will only get notifications from that content only. So then like what what is happening right now is like whenever someone posts a message on that topic or on that area, then the members who are following that, they are the only ones who are getting the email. As a result, the emails are not being spammy at all anymore and they are relevant and like they're they are like pretty topical. So this is what we are trying to do so that like as long as the emails are relevant, members want them, I think it's fine. Okay, alrighty. So I'll jump to all the audience questions right now. We have a lot here and we don't have much time. So let's see. Um, so the first question is from Brad Sapp. And um, Brad is asking, do you have any data that shows um, how including sponsors in programs reinforces the, you know, like prospective members uh, attraction or retention? Do you have any data? I, any I don't have data. I don't know, Amanda, if you have, you know, why, what are the drivers for member engagement or re recruiting or renewing? I don't have any data about, I'm trying, I'm, 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 I'm now kind of cycling through all of the research and I I don't know. I don't have any data about that in particular. And I don't, I don't, I can't think of any piece of research that's been done publicly for the association community that, that has that. Um, I think it also but, kind of begs the question compared to what, and when we look at this massively competitive environment now, and if we have companies that are creating online communities, 5,000 of the association's members and the companies are doing their own conferences. And then there's this new thing called a for-profit association, which is looks like an association, but it's a for-profit entity that's providing content to members. Um, um, or even like this webinar today, this is the sort of thing, you know, why is an association of associations not doing this webinar? So there are a lot of savvy companies that are putting on webinars and content. So I, I think that um, we want to find ways to engage members. It might be hard to compare that to something three or five years ago because it's a much more competitive environment. But if we don't want to see lose members, and I think you know most associations are now saying they're having trouble attracting and retaining younger members. So um, that's yeah. another opportunity um, where companies can come in and provide content. So in fact, I've talked to companies that have said, we really want to reach younger members in the profession. And then I go to the association, I say, what do you have for younger members? And it's like, uh, we have a membership category, but we don't do anything for them. Well, again, can we go back to the company? And they say, can you can you provide seminars or webinars and interview skills or how to advance in the profession or how to be a leader in the profession or whatever? So then it becomes a way to attract and retain member, younger members. So it might be hard to compare that to something else, but I think if we have associations don't move in that direction of looking, reading Amanda's book, looking for more ways to, to engage members, uh, we're going to see that, that engagement decreasing. 
Okay, so next question is from Janine Diana. So I think uh, we already answered this question, but like I'll just like uh, repeat this very quickly, just so we just like whenever Janine is like listening to this, she sees this. Um, so she's saying our medical our medical society has differentiated itself by uh, limiting all the sponsorship to the exhibit hall. So uh, and then like in the session, there's nothing at all, and the members have completely like welcomed that. But then is there something that we're missing out by doing that? And and is there a hybrid alternative? Um, I'm not sure exactly what she's referring to. I mean, I think there's, a, if this answers the question, there's a role for both. There's a, there's definitely a role for the the sales information in the exhibit hall, the brochures, the product demos and all that. Um, I mean, one way I've seen associations do kind of the hybrid is, is that they'll have um, not so much product demo theaters in the exhibit hall, but things like the social media lab or opportunities where year-long corporate partners can come in and, and address a topic. And it might be directly or indirectly tied to their product or not, but it's a way to satisfy the needs of those members, again, the member focus, members who do want to go in because they're looking for a product or service, or members who are thinking, oh, I don't need any product or service. I'm not going to go in the expo at all. And, oh, but do you want to go in and stop at the social media lab? Or do you want to go in and and see the go to the kiosk about that tough regulation we're facing and ask some questions. So I think there are ways to create a hybrid environment in the exhibit hall and especially to, to feature those those top tier year long corporate partners. So I'll take the next question uh, again on sponsorship. So Lithaj, I don't know how to pronounce the last name. So Lithaj, I think. Uh, so he's asking, how does one identify good sponsor sources? Like how, how to find sponsors who are aligned with your needs? Well, sponsor prospecting, we're, we're not looking, this is not mass marketing. So we're really looking for a handful of companies to, to start with. So it could be companies in the exhibit hall. It could be companies that have been previous sponsors. It could be asking board members, you know, look at your purchase orders. Who are the top few companies that, that each of your companies or organizations um, works with? And because uh, often the question is, how do you get started? And I think if the association does not have a a robust sponsorship program or sponsorship staff it could be starting with two or three calls a week but but calling mm. the companies you know starting with what do members need what information do members need what expertise do members need and then doing a little research on the companies first and because i think that the mass marketing approach or when i pre-pandemic when i did full day uh sponsorship training sessions we'd get halfway through the day and and one of the association execs in the audience would say, well, well, I have a question. Uh, this all sounds really great, but but nobody ever returns my phone calls. So I'll say, well, what happens when you call a company? And they'll say, well, I, I get them, I call or I send them an email. And I say, our convention's coming up in, in 90 days and we have gold, silver, bronze sponsorships. Give me a call back. And I said, that's why they're not calling you back. But if you were to call the company and say, you know, we've done a survey and we have this, this, this category of, of new to the profession members and they really need this information uh, about how to advance in the profession and i saw on your website that you have a program where you're helping uh provide leadership guidance to folks who are new to our profession could we have a conversation and i think those are the calls that get returned and then then the hard work comes uh, how do we put that together how do we identify you know what are the deliverables or the webinars or the white papers um but that's it satisfies the member need and it's positioning the the company as a thought leader without talking about their product or service. Um, but it involves you know finding fi identifying member needs and then doing the research to find companies, look on their websites, look at their press releases, look at their annual reports, look at their uh, corporate social accountability pages. 
Um, and then if nothing else, it shows that you've done some homework and shows some empathy. If you call a company and say, I saw on your website that um, you know, your, your senior exec just won an, uh, an award in a leadership program. That sounds like something that would be of interest to our association as a leadership program. Maybe that's something where your, your company could be part of our leadership program. Ready? So next question is from Jeff Hanlan. So Jeff is asking, how will AI help us to better engage members and sponsors? I'll start with Amanda this time. Mm. This is a, this is a cool question. I've been thinking a lot about this. Uh, and one of the things that I'm, I'm super hopeful for is the idea of member matching. And so what we've been doing for decades now is we create spaces for members to connect, but it, it might just, again, like I was saying before, it might just be luck if they happen to connect with the right people uh, at any given reception, or, you know, if they happen to connect with the right people at a virtual event or in the online community. And, um, and there's so, so many of our members are, they've got, uh, they've got, you know, maybe unique goals that maybe just uh, some other members have, or they've got this pet project that they're working on that not very many other members are working on, but but some are, um, you know, or they're having like an experience that's that's unique to them and, and a handful of other members. And wouldn't it be cool if there was a way to connect them? And uh, and and I think this is this is a humongous opportunity for associations to not just have the receptions, but to really be the ones that are making these really profound connections. And in, in those connections are the ways that they're going to be advancing the profession or advancing the industry. Cause you're getting, you're getting people who are struggling with the same things or people who want the same opportunities together to put more minds and more ideas against it. So I, I hope, I hope that somebody out there creates a really meaningful member matching AI. I, I think it could be fascinating uh, we could use it 360 days a year. We could use it for events. We could use it around topics. We could use it around trends. This this could be super powerful. So I'm I'm very excited about I'm 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 personally excited about AI, and and I think that that would be um, amazing uh, benefit for associations. Sounds like. Right. I I think just to expand that, it, it could be yeah. used with the, the sponsors also, because what I've been hearing from sponsors for years, and AI could be part of the solution the way Amanda explains it, companies are in many cases looking for a segment of the membership, not the full membership, or not all conference mm -hmm. attendees. And for decades, we in associations have price sponsorships based on the number of people in the room. So a lot of money if you want to sponsor the general session, less money if you want to sponsor the breakout, less money if if you want to be involved in, in a focus group of 20 people. And more and more companies are saying, I would pay more to reach a fraction of the number of people if they were the right people. So can AI help find the right people to meet with that company? And we've done that in the past with like member databases and, oh, can we find members who are HR directors and companies of a certain size in a certain region of the country? And would that be of interest to the, to the to a sponsor that wants to reach that, reach that target? Uh, but it, the way Amanda describes it, it sounds like AI could be used to help in that process. Love the idea. Love the idea. So I think we just got a feature request for member lounge. So we'll see if we can fit it in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And 
Yeah, and I guess like uh, two things that we are actively working on, like uh, on the memory launch platform, like with AI, and we are investing heavily on AI. So two things that we are doing is like we are looking at what are the biggest challenges an association has right now, you know. So and like can we solve those biggest challenges with AI? And the two things that we are working on right now is number one, uh, member support, which is like which is like old, which is not like new, but we are bringing it to associations, which is more like virtual agents, right? So can we actually use more virtual agents uh, to kind of like provide the first line of support for the members to a, to a foreign association who's extremely busy already? So maybe there are some quick things that we can like get like uh, deal with with the virtual agent. So that's one thing that we're working on. And the second thing that we're working on is that community, like moderating the community, community management is a big challenge for associations. So that's why just because of the management overhead, many people will not even open a community for their members because they think it will be a lot of work to manage. So we are bringing in some AI there where we can uh, do some sentiment analysis of the posts and like uh, make recommendations. So if there are posts that are not great or, you know, like need some moderation, then we flag those to the community uh, managers only. And then like the remaining posts are, uh, the remaining posts can actually go through. So we are removing that like, um, that like heavy lifting from community managers that, oh, you have to review the posts every single time, you know, like always keep an eye on what's happening and giving that to AI instead and then let them focus on what really matters. So these are two things that we are actively working on right now. They'll be released sometime early next year. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So the next question, and uh, this is probably for, for Amanda. So how has engagement changed in the last couple of years? And like, what is the major shift that you're seeing moving into the new years? This is from Gabriel Castillo. Yeah. So... So one of the things that I've been hearing uh, from all different kinds of associations is just association uh, engagement is getting harder. Uh, and, and it almost doesn't matter what stakeholder we're talking about, whether it's new members, but also attendees, uh, you know, getting attendees engaged in coming to an in-person meeting or staying engaged in your online meeting. Uh, per, there's a big struggle of trying to get volunteers out there. So engaging those prospective volunteers. Um, but it, it just seems like every stakeholder engaging your exhibitors and your sponsors and your students and your young professionals and and I, I almost can't think of a stakeholder group where, where associations are like yeah that that got easier uh, no they're saying it's it's getting harder across the board and 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 so it's been making me wonder what what's going on why you know if you look back 20 years ago it was easier and 15 years ago and 10 years ago and five years ago even five years ago it was a little bit easier what's going on and and i think what's going on is that that rate of change you know time is shrinking things are going faster there's more incoming and people just can't devote the time and attention that they used to to anything even if it's watching a, a one-hour webinar and um, and so the the solution um, is it, well. So when I was I was conducting a ton of member interviews uh, in the last seven years, I've conducted 477 member interviews and got a chance to talk to members about you know what what is engagement, what does it feel like to be engaged, what is engagement, and and what I found from their stories is it's it's kind of two things. One is its value, and the other one is the experience. So every time we provide them with a value, we're also providing them with an experience. But sometimes we don't think about curating that experience. And when we curate that experience to be a very positive experience, that's, that's when we, we kind of capture their attention, we capture their hearts, we capture their minds. And, and so, so the biggest change is that engagement is getting harder and the biggest opportunity for us 
is to focus not just on value, but also that experience while we're delivering value. And, and that's that's really what my book is about. And what I've been talking about a lot lately on my blog, blog and in my keynote is, is how, how do you lean really hard into that experiential stuff? And uh, so, you know, Farad, you're just talking about online communities. What you're doing is this huge service. You're, you're taking away some of the administrative burden so that people could spend time managing and moderating the community in really positive ways, you know, in, in ways where they're creating an online community culture in a way that they're greeting people and in a way that they're showing folks what kind of behaviors are expected of the people in the community. And, and I, I love that. I love talking to industry partners and, and those that are removing the administrative burden so that associations can lean into the experience and create great value. It's, Awesome. 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 Yeah. And just to add to that on, on that note, like how is engagement changing and what are we seeing? Um, so, um, so, uh, so I, I, I have a talk on how to attract younger members and what we're seeing is that like, um, uh, Gen Z and millennials will very soon form the biggest like part of the workforce and, uh, Gen Z and millennials whenever, like, so what happened is that, uh, so I'll, I'm a millennial. So when we grew up, like we grew up in a lot of technology among social media, Gen Z has not seen anything. So Gen Z has like seen like uh, um, like cell phones and like social media from the very beginning, like from their from when they were born. As a result, their brains actually like developed slightly differently, certain parts of the brain. So the younger members, they uh, consume and produce content at a much faster rate. But at the same time, they connect with short form content better than long form content in general, because there's more di distraction out there in general. So I guess like to like uh, tie into what uh, Amanda was saying that the value and the experience. So how can we provide the value, but also make the experience e easy for everyone? So I think like an example uh, could be what we are doing right now. So this is like a long one, one hour, 90 minute, like um, webinar that we are recording today. But a lot of the younger audience will probably like not watch a one hour long video. So after the like video is uh, like dump, after the event is done, we will also create maybe like 15 minute clips of the video and publish them on YouTube. So, so here we have the value. The value was created through this interview, through this event. But then in the experience, we're adding another experience of like short form content from the same content, you know, for the younger audience. So this is like an example of like value plus experience combined. Uh, the next question is from Kelly. So Kelly is asking, what are some realistic incentives you can provide to members for attending unpaid or volunteer engagements? Okay. Wait, so, okay. What, what is, so how do you incentivize members to attend events? Attend like unpaid, like volunteer roles. Oh, to do, uh, to do, to be a volunteer. Okay. So, um, I, there's a couple of things that are percolating in my brain. I think one of those things is, uh, when we think about when, I think when we think about volunteers, we tend to think about volunteer roles are, uh, sitting on a committee or chairing a committee or being on the board. And those are big volunteer roles. I would say they're volunteer roles with a capital V, right? And, um, <laughs> There's so many other ways that members would think that they're volunteering. I think when you ask, you know, members how, how you know, how do you volunteer, they would talk about things like speaking, they would talk about things like writing and perhaps being interviewed. All of those for them would be would would could come under the banner of volunteering uh, and micro volunteering opportunities. Uh, welcoming, manning the registration booth, being chat ambassadors. There's probably a million other really cool volunteer activities. You could 
write postcards. You know, there's there's a lot of things that you could do. So one, I think one way to get people excited about volunteering is to think about the the prospective volunteer journey and start them off small. You know, like get them to flex the the muscle with, you know, they're just spending an hour uh, and they're the chat ambassador and. And then, and then you know, maybe they do that another time, and then they're ready for another role, and and you you can potentially keep building. The the other thing about thinking about that whole volunteer journey is, um, is you you also get them thinking, you get them understanding what the value and the experience is like. So they they do a you know a small volunteer role and it's really really beneficial to them. Maybe they made a friend or it just felt really good to be the the welcoming committee, right? And um, and they really had that really great experience. And so they're they're excited to come back for the next role. And then you know as they spend maybe more and more time and resources and effort, they get even a bigger payoff and value to themselves. So. So that I think that's that's the one thing is we're creating volunteer opportunities is to always be thinking. I think Bruce, you had you had those three rules about it. You know, it had to be on the association's mission, right, and aligned with the association. Think about the volunteer roles that way too. You know, is this on the association's mission and aligned with the association's mission? Is it good for the association? But then, how is it good for the member? And when you when you combine both of those things, it, it can be super powerful. Pe people will be willing to spend their their time, attention and money. Yeah. And I guess like uh, when it comes to volunteering, we often think that uh, it's a it's a boring thing and like, people will not want to do it. But there are people passionate in doing certain things. For example, like I love like building software. I will do it for free if possible. If I didn't have to like earn money, I would do it for free. So there are people passionate in doing certain things. So so and passionate about certain causes. So as long as you can find that like perfect match that, oh, you know what? This group of people are really passionate about like this topic. So can they come and volunteer maybe in that in in that committee? Right. And some people really love social media. Can they come and volunteer for that? So finding that match, I guess. So it's a win win for everyone. So question for Bruce, I think this time. So question is from Laura. Laura is asking, how do I move long-term, long-time corporate members into sponsorship programs? Um, it's going to differ a little bit depending on the, the nature of the association. And so it, it sounds like you have an association where the members could be sponsors. So um, yeah, I think it's really around you know, the, the value proposition. What is the value in that that member moving into a um, a sponsor role and and what are their goals around that? So I think it it still really goes back to having that that one on one conversation with some of those members or or actually let me approach it this way before creating such a program for members to become sponsors, I would involve some of the sponsors in focus groups and or individual conversations and ask the members, does this make sense? Because something I learned years ago working on an association project um, where our members were local officials in small towns. And the guidance was, if you're going to create any sort of program in a small town, a new park or a library, invite everybody to the planning meeting, the head of the garden club, the head of the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, the head of the Merchants Association, anybody who's not part of the discussion will probably not like the result. So I think instead of going to those members and saying, well, the last six months, staff and board planned this new program to get you in as a sponsor, 
go to some of them first and ask them what they think of the idea. Are there value propositions in there? What might the ROI be? Um, and then to kind of take it from there. And then then, then after you get their input and, and if you do decide to go ahead and build it, then go back to some of those same companies, say, thanks so much for your input three months ago. It was really valuable based on your input and the input from others. We have created this new program and you'd like, we'd like to talk to you about being part of it. Right, right. And also I think like there's the case of like not asking for too much too soon. So if, if a corporate member is paying $500 like every year, like don't like, like, like make the jump to like ask them for a $5,000 sponsorship right away. So maybe they were at $500, uh, the next step, maybe a $1,500 sponsorship. And then as this, uh, start seeing value, you build up on top of that. Mm -hmm. And that way it's a closer sale as opposed to asking for $5,000 and, you know, like getting a, like a, um, a slap on the wrist. Right. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Ready? So this is an interesting question from Alan. Alan is asking how to get members involved that don't use technology. <laughs> okay. So, so it's really, really interesting because I've, I've heard some version of my, my members are on the road and so they're really not plugged into their computers. So virtual yeah. conferences won't, won't work for us, you know, or our members are not, you know, they're not really techie. Um, so this is a kind of a funny thing and I, you know, let's, let's take, um, let's take AARP as an example. So AARP it's for individuals who are 50 or more, and they probably have some segment of their membership that are folks that are like 80 and 90, you know, 90 years old. And in, in maybe, maybe among those are some people who, who, who are not uh, really plugged in into tech. Um, they they might not have a home computer. They might not have a website, uh, or you know the ability to like you know uh, you know get onto websites and stuff like that other than through their phones. But but it's funny because ARP still delivers most of their value through tech. You know most of their value is through websites. It's mostly through apps. Uh, they do, I think one of the things that they do this kind of analog is they do mail home a bulletin. I, I think it's every every week or two, you get a, you know, a paper bulletin. But other than that, everything is online. And so, so I, I don't know, I, I kind of challenge the, the idea that members, I don't know, maybe not every member uses technology, but a lot of people nowadays do use technology. And so, so I'm, I'm kind of wondering, you know, like, why? Why don't we think they're using technology? Is it because they they don't seem to want to come to virtual events, or is it because they don't want to participate in the online community? And and that might not be because they are not using technology. It might just be because they haven't seen the the kind of link between the that benefit and their problem or their goals. And so so maybe it's it's just a matter of retooling whatever it is that we're doing, you know, with our website, with our online community, with our virtual events to to really um, help them help our members advance, you know, uh, advance their goals, help them solve problems. I could tell that Bruce and I are very like minded when Bruce said, you know, let's let's go out to those corporate members and talk to them about what they would want in in being a sponsor because that that's that's speaking my tune. That whole idea of of having conversations with members and and having that qualitative research and maybe this is that place where uh, where the person who asked that question could do something like that and say, hey, let's 
let's find find out what your problems are, what your goals are, and um, and you know, tell me all about your problems and goals, and and let's see if we can come up with some solutions. Okay, now we've got some ideas for so, some solutions. Do will any of these work for you? And then you can start stepping into making your minimum viable product and testing it out and iterating and and going from there. And and it, and it might be that the the member group that you thought didn't have a lot of access to technology or didn't care for technology really, really will uh, join in, especially if you've got the right program for them. Yeah, and on that note, I think uh, we have been struggling with that challenge a lot. Like, how do we let uh, those? How how do we connect with those members through our technology platform? And one solution that we found, and it's it's starting to work now, is that um, uh, it's it, it's not about technology, I guess, but like it's like it's about experience. So, a member who will not use your app every single day, if they receive a text message, if they receive an SMS, they'll probably click on the link from a trusted source, and they'll probably come back to your app, right? So what we're finding is that it's it's the form of like connection that you're trying to make. So if if the person is a uh, for example a, is a younger member who will not connect with a long form content, then if you make it like a make a short form version of that and then share that with the young young member, then you're extending an olive branch to that person, and it's like a mini bridge for that person to interact. So what we are doing is that we are uh, sending a lot of email notifications, and then from the emails, people click on the link and come back to the portal, and also like SMS, right? So uh, we are soon introducing like SMS reminders for the events, upcoming events, so that like a person who will not typically be on the portal will get an SMS reminder for for the event that they're supposed to attend or they're like that is up, upcoming. They'll click on the link on the SMS and they'll actually come to the app. So 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 what we're finding is like building mini bridges, you know, between like what channel is the member on right now? Is it on social media? Is it on SMS? Something else? And then you know, like get them to the platform where you want them to be. So uh, next question is from Kelly, and this will be the last question we are taking for today. We're running out of time. So Kelly is asking, what do corporate sponsors want right now? What is appealing to them for conference sponsorships? Um, ask your sponsors. Um, it's going to differ for each company. And yeah, I think it's, it's also useful to, you know, for associations and for companies to, to think about goals and objectives before we start talking about tactics. So something at the conference is in itself a tactic. So I think asking companies a broader question, what are your business objectives? What are your marketing goals? Um, who do you want to reach? Do you want to reach a segment of our market? What types of outreach do you generally find successful? How do you define success in a sponsorship? How do you measure ROI in your work with associations? And then to look at all that, and, and you might realize, oh, this company doesn't participate in conferences anymore. So if if you or we had actually started off by going to the company and say, oh, we want to tell you all about our conference and how you can make the most of it. And then if the company said, yeah, we don't really do conferences anymore, that's kind of the end of the conversation. So I think since we there is no way we would know what a company would want until we ask them. And, and again, we're not talking about asking 400 exhibitors or, or 100 exhibitors or conference sponsors. We're talking about those top tier biggest supporters of the association sit down with them one by one. And, and I, I found that the best way to get their engagement of sponsors for the conversation is to start off by saying, I'm not selling anything today. I'm not going to talk about gold, silver, bronze. I'd like to talk about your company a little bit. And all of a sudden the cell phones are put down, the pens are put down. And it's like, okay, I'll answer questions. And invariably we run over time. And I have had companies that have sent me thank you notes after my 
call. I'm basically doing a subtle pitch, though not selling. They call and thank me for the conversation. And they will also invariably say that we sponsored dozens of national and state associations and nobody has ever asked us those questions before. And in some cases, those are companies that have been $100,000 sponsors, probably, possibly not for long if they've never been asked about their goals. So it's a great differentiator. And when we think again about the competition, all the different places any company could sponsor and support, but to, to ask them, similar to what Amanda was saying related to what do members want or members that don't use technology, ask them. And then to build it out from there. So it has that, that dual advantage of both you're going to get really good input and you're going to get them engaged in the process. And, and I, in the years I've been doing consulting and interviewing corporate partners as part of that work with associations, and I thought after a while, am I going to hear anything new from, from companies or am I always going to hear the same stuff? And in many cases, I do hear the same thing as far as their, their goals and their desires, but it also builds their engagement because then I can go back to them three months later and say, thank you for your input three months ago. We heard what you said. The same applies to Amanda's example with the members to go back to those members who may not be using technology and say, well, we heard you. We appreciate your input three months ago. We've, we've created some new models and we'd like to let you know about them. Wonderful. Love that. Love that. Okay. So we need to wrap up at this point in time. So Amanda, Bruce, uh, what will be your key takeaway in short? What would be your, would be your key takeaway for the audience, Amanda? You want us to wrap up uh, the, the whole <laughs> long ranging <laughs> conversation? Okay. Um, let me, let me give it a, a shot. I'll talk about it from the member engagement standpoint. I, I think, uh, let's see, key takeaways, member engagement is getting harder. But don't worry, because there are ways to engage members and all of your stakeholders if you focus on both value and engagement. Uh, and when I'm talking about stakeholders, I'm also including uh, sponsors in that. And, uh, and it's been just I just want to say it's been so delightful for me to meet you and talk with you, Bruce, and and be involved with this, Farhad. Thank you so much. And uh, my, my friend Cindy Simpson posted a question. I don't know if she's still on the Zoom call, but but her question was, what, what are your biggest ahas in terms of future sponsorship engagement? And and I, I noted three things. Companies want to be part of the conversation, not sponsor the conversation. So putting the company's logo on the last slide is not a sponsorship. That's just a logo placement. Companies want to be in the room with the association staff and board leadership. They don't want to be on the outside hearing about the strategic plan. They'd like to be in the conversation, not selling a product or service. They want, they know a lot about members. They want to be on attending board strategic planning meetings on committees. They want to be part of those committee and board processes and companies want customized engagement that there is not a one size fits all. And, and in fact, those, those company goals and objectives change year to year. So even if a company had the perfect program, met all their numbers, achieved their ROI last year, this year we should go back to them and say, let's have the same conversation. I've had companies that have said, oh, didn't we have this conversation last year? And I said, well, let me just ask a few questions. And then we realized, oh, they had some new initiatives they were working on and some new audiences they wanted to focus on. So uh, engaging companies by having to be part of the conversation, be, being on boards and committees and, and offering them customized opportunities based on getting their input. Love that. Love that. Amanda, Bruce, thank you so much for your time. I love this session today. It was great. Thanks. Alrighty. 
So that was our episode this time with Amanda and Bruce. Oh my God, so many, so many key takeaways. So as always, I guess what we find is that we uh, come to the sessions and we have too much to do. So I guess uh, focus on the key takeaways and see, um, uh, look at this episode as a buffet of so many options and see what makes sense for you right now and start taking action as soon as you can. If you don't take action, nothing will happen. And once again, uh, if you want to learn more about our app Member Lounge, you can uh, see a free demo on our website at memberlounge.app. That is memberlounge.app. And uh, if you want to like uh, see a quick demo, like a customized demo, like if it's a good, like, good fit for you, then book a meeting with our team. Alrighty, so with that, we will wrap up and we wish you all the best with your membership journey. And if you want to ask more questions to Bruce and Amanda, like feel free to join our online community. We will post a link there as well, Anika, if you don't mind posting a link. So yeah, again, it's memberlounge.app. And when you go to the website, you'll see a link uh, to the community and Amanda and Bruce are both there. You can keep this conversation ongoing throughout the whole year, not just at the event, just like we said in the session today. With that, we wish you all the best with your membership journey. Bye for now, and we will see you on the next episode.